awesome. <laughs> so this is my friend Lori Lee of the Hey Trauma Survivors Drivers Podcast. He's the host. And welcome to Tonio Time Daily. Yay. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. So I'm a free-flowing interviewer. That's my style. So I love can, it. Thank you. So you can just share your story. Yeah, well, I mean, I started a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast in the middle of COVID. Um, it's funny because I was actually in treatment um, for trauma, um, sexual abuse as a child um, in February so what was interesting about that is I was there for a month and, you know, when you're in residential treatment, they take your phones, you know, you're, you really just there, we used a phone booth, they had phone booths. Um, and so that's when I would call my husband, but my husband didn't really tell me the gravity of what was going on. He did say that my kids were going to be out of school for maybe a week or so. Um, so when I actually left treatment and every, and every once in a while, I heard people talking about COVID and. I heard someone talking about like baseball being canceled, but what I didn't realize was that the world actually shut down <laughs> when I left, when mm -hmm. I got out of treatment. So this, this, this world that I was trying to, that I was preparing myself to integrate to after 31 days of treatment and basically no triggers because it's just constant, you know, therapy and programming I was just, I, I had to kind of reacquaint myself with a world I didn't really know, which was really interesting. Um, luckily, I had the help of family. And so because I had that help, um, you know, I was able to start the podcast. I, you know, what I learned in treatment was when I was, when I, it took me a while to tell my story. But when I did, and it was after um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization re and reprocessing, once I was actually able to talk about my trauma, um, the people in my group, in my group therapy sessions, would they came up to me afterwards and said, you know, that, that, that happened to me too. Um, and then they started talking and they started sharing um, you know, their stories of abuse. And that really put them on a path to recovery because a lot of people were there for so much longer than I was there for. Um, and, you know, even though they were getting great treatment, they weren't talking about their trauma um, because it is a really difficult subject to talk about and it can be re-triggering. But I think because I said, what you know, I, I spoke my truth, um, they felt comfortable or they felt like they had permission to speak theirs. Um, and they realized that there was a great support system there. Um, and so that's kind of, there was so many reasons why I started the podcast, but that was one of them. Um, and so, yeah. And so now I have a trauma survivor thrives podcast, you know, uh, it was back in February when I went into treatment where I actually talked about the abuse for the first time. And that was after living with it for more than 25 years. Um, and like living with a secret for 25 years will really eat at your soul. So 
um, I was able to tell my husband after, you know, trigger warning, um, a suicide attempt um, that didn't happen. And there were several attempts since the age of 13. Um, but it was it was sexual abuse by my father, you know, the the one person that you, you really feel like you should be trusting. Um, and so, you know, obviously, that gave me trust issues. Later in life, I didn't know. I had no idea that I was dealing with PTSD. Um, after one uh, suicide attempt, I actually went into a psych ward where they told me I was bipolar. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense for my behavior. Um, thing is, bipolar looks similar to PTSD. And so um, I didn't realize until probably you know, not long before treatment that maybe just maybe I was dealing with PTSD. Uh, I, I don't know, but I tried to explore that and things just kind of started eating at me and, and getting worse. But, you know, I had my breakdown that became my ba- breakthrough. So I'm, I'm really grateful, um, you know, that I had a support system where I could get that kind of treatment. And um, so here I am now. Yeah, I, I was just tasting my words there for you because when we communicate with people who were forced to go through such pure evil, um, any words that can help with progression or help make a person's consciousness thing feel like they're unhealing. And so um, what was it like for your friendship before you came to a point where you felt like you could share that very tender part of your life? What were your friendships relationships with people like before you? Well, my friendships with um, the people I grew up with, um, it was funny because when I told them I was bipolar, they were like, oh, that makes sense now. Um, But when I, it, it was, you know, after I told them, what had happened just recently, like um, after I went out, I didn't tell anybody. I, I, I told like a couple people that I was going into treatment. I didn't tell them why. Um, but when I came out and then I told them, they were like, they were shocked. But for some reason, they weren't surprised. I think um, just just on my dad's, based on my dad's behavior. Um, but my relationships, you know, some of the, the symptoms of PTSD and sexual abuse is, um, you know, withdrawing, not being able to focus, hypersexual activity, um, feelings of worthlessness. So, you know, with my friends, so I'm, I'm one of those people who I, I make fun of myself a lot. I, you know, I kind of put myself down a lot and, and so people kind of were, were always like, no, no, why are you talking like that? And, you know, they obviously didn't know what was going on. They now know they're like, oh, that makes so much sense. Um, 
but my relationships with um with men was it was it was you know difficult i didn't i had a i had a problem trusting people um i immediately thought that there was like i don't know like things would trigger me to lash out and immediately go into my head and say, this person doesn't want to be with me anymore, or this person is going to leave me. So I need to do something crazy um, and, and just leave. Um, you know, when you're married, you can't really do that. But, you know, it, the marriage does get a little, it, it, it's hard. You know, my, I think my husband put up with a lot Um but I mean, he was there, went with the, through the bipolar diagnosis and, and still stuck around, made sure that I got, you know, the mental health care that I needed. Um, but, he, but, but when things started spiraling in like late 2019, my husband, it was getting really hard for him to understand what was happening. Um, because I was back on my, my bipolar medication, I was on lithium. And it was really hard for him. You know, I was lashing out every time he would, even when he would just ask me a question, I immediately thought he was questioning, questioning my intelligence. Um, because, you know, after the abuse, I, you know, I, I became ADD. I just, I couldn't focus on anything with school. I was just, you know, some of my peers thought I was, just not smart and they thought it was funny if I like because I was on the French Honor Society you know there were there were people students classmates who'd be like what you're smart enough to be on the French Honor Society you know so you know there were certain times if my husband just like asked if I did something I immediately thought oh I I, I, I failed I didn't do it I couldn't get my stuff together and so he you know it was hard for him when, when he would just ask me like just a typical question and I would freak out. Um, but I think once I told him that was eye opening to him, even he was just like, I'm, sh I'm surprised, but I'm not shocked. Um, and then, you know, but, you know, he stuck it through, you know, he even so I was in at Sierra Tucson for residential treatment um, and he actually flew out there. They have programming where um, spouses or family can actually go and they teach them basically about what we are dealing with and how they can support us. And that was like, you know, he told me he was like, you know, I learned so much. I, I couldn't I can't believe how much I just didn't understand prior like he thought like he read the well he read the books about bipolar disorder right so he was just like he so when it came to like ptsd and like it was it something clicked with him and it was just like this makes sense and i can navigate this and he has been amazing in navigating it obviously it's not perfect all the time and that's kind of what recovery is it's um it's 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 a it's a windy road with peaks and valleys and it's it's difficult sometimes but I think it's just understanding that those times are going to happen and things are going to get better is, is kind of what helps me get through it and you know I've I purged some of my friends who I felt like just weren't I was just I if it was taking a lot 
out of me. There was it wasn't I, like I knew they loved me and I knew they wanted to support me, but the energy that, that was there was just draining. Um, and so I had to and I had to let go and I had to put up boundaries. And I think um, that's one of the things I learned in treatment. Mm. And Pat, what is your sense of self-esteem? Does it fluctuate? Yes, all the time. I still have to remind myself that I'm enough. Um, you know, my this is always this has been a problem I've had all like my whole life. Um, and my. <sighs> I do what I can, right? Like I try to remind myself that I can, that, you know, that these are all triggers. It's feelings of not feeling enough stems from childhood. And, you know, I, I also dealt, not, not only did I deal with, you know, the abuse from my father, but I dealt with the neglect from my mother. Um, and that, I think that was what really kind of really messed me up when it comes to my self-worth and self-esteem. Um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's an uphill battle. That's one of the things that I, I, I struggle with, but that's also one of the things I'm really focusing on um, in my trauma therapy. Um, you know, I have an amazing internal family systems therapist, and that is something we're exploring right now. And I'm realizing that, even at as a baby, you know, I was my my mother, my my family, my entire family would make fun of how ugly I was as a baby. I was a really ugly baby, and they have a picture of it. Um, and you know, I think I've always sensed that. You know, you know, they they would make fun of me even when I got older. They're like, oh, you know, she's remember she was such an ugly baby. I remember just being like, ah, when I saw you. Um, and I mean, when you're like in high school or whatever, you think it's funny, I guess, or you try to pretend it's funny. But, you know, there there was a point where I started making fun of that baby who was me um, because I was scared other people would start making fun of, you know, that baby. So before they could, I did. But that was my way of protecting myself when really I was pretty much hurting myself, just kind of like contributing to that negative energy that, you know, that I'm, I was complaining about. So, um, yeah, just one of the biggest things I'm working on is just my self-worth. Hmm. How does that affect your, all this, um, all the traumas, how does that affect your parenting and motherhood? Mm, yeah. Well, the thing is before, I, I think what really started setting me off was when, because I, I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I pro well, now I'm so much better now, but I, when I would get really stressed and really anxious, and my kids are at talking to me, and I'm just like, I would yell, I would lash out and just be like, yeah, leave me alone, or no, why are you doing this? Um, and that was really, and when my daughter, I remember yelling at my daughter for yelling at my son and my daughter was just like, 
you are teaching us to yell. So I'm learning it from you. And that was just like, okay, I need to step back. And I, yes, yes. Okay. I need to, I need to, I need to walk away right now. And I need to figure out how I'm going to like, because that was an eye opener. The fact that my daughter was able to observe that and communicate that I realized like I needed to really get the help that I needed. So it was literally probably, that was probably like a few days before my suicide attempt and about a week and a half before I actually left for treatment. Um, Because there was that point where I realized that it started trickling down. And that's, you know, you know, I talk about it was my first episode, transgenerational trauma, how trauma is passed down. It's passed down through your DNA, but it's, it's also a learned experience, right? You, you know, that's how my parents were to me. And so it's kind of my job to break the cycle. And that's kind of what I've learned. I'm a lot better and I'm a lot, a lot more understanding and patient um, than I was prior to treatment. But there are days where I do lash out, but I do know, and I did it a little bit before, but I know to like step away from the situation and then come back and apologize and say that I, that's not how I should be behaving. Um, and I think, um, and that helps a lot because <laughs> now when I do apologize for getting angry, my kids will apologize for breaking stuff or drawing on the wall or, you know, doing stuff that they know that they weren't supposed to do, but didn't deserve me screaming at them for. Um, so, yeah, I feel like I'm just that's another thing that I'm working on. <laughs> but I think it all comes down to self-worth and like learned behavior. It's hard to change 20 something, 30 something years of what you know and just change that it's 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 a lot of work but i i do feel like it's worth it yeah i'm hearing that it's a gradual slow but surely stepping stone and i'm hearing that you're at a point where it's much smoother for you to be gentle towards yourself Yeah, I I feel like taking care of yourself is like the number one thing, right? If you're able to take care of yourself, you can take care of other people. If you're not taking care of yourself, and I feel like a lot of people aren't, especially with COVID, you know, I I think everyone feels like they have to do everything, Um, but it'll wear on you and it will... And you won't be able to take care of your children or your friends or whoever you, you know, you, whoever's leaning on you, you know, it's the whole put your mask on the airplane, you know, on the airplane, put your mask on before you put, you know, others um, or your children's because there's a, there's a point where you may just pass out and you're not helping anybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so what is life skills like? Because I know that when, when people learn life skills, some people who have been through, unfortunately, against their will of peace, they feel like that is 
in addition to their senses, become feeling like it's easier for them to see their own individuality. Has that been your experience? Like learning how to cook, how to clean? Well, that, I, I was very much a functional person. Um, I, I was always, you know, I'm, I've, I, I cook every single day, even before COVID, but I, you know, I, I cook, I, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm very much a caregiver. I love entertaining. I love um, helping other people. It's just a matter of helping myself is, is where I, I kind of have trouble with. Um, but when it comes to, when it came to like, stepping down from residential treatment and going into like a partial hospitalization program, it was more of managing my time and budgeting time for my own self-care. And what am I going to do if I feel like my recovery is going downhill? Um, But, you know, I, as, as a, you know, a lot of people didn't see when I went into treatment, a lot of a lot of people didn't see it coming, except for my closest friends, right? But even they didn't see me kind of going into like a, a serious trauma treatment program. Um, they were, you know, I was functioning, I was high functioning, I, I over produce, you know, producing, but that's exactly what kind of got me there. It was just trying to, you know, be a stay-at-home mom and trying to freelance and 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 you know make sure that I was able to do everything myself. Um, and because that's actually your trauma response, right? To keep yourself busy so you don't think about the trauma or to overproduce so people think that you're doing really well when pro- potentially you're not. Um, it's, it's putting up this facade of making it look like you have your shit together. And it, and it's such a, it's a, it's a, it's a really bad, it's a slippery slope because, you know, you think you're, you're, you think you're doing everything you need to do and you're doing it, but you're slowly, slowly just not, you're not taking care of yourself and, and you're slowly slipping into this, you know, this, this space where you keep moving the goal, like, I'm going to do these 10 things today. And then you do all 10 things. And then you're like, Oh, well, I can do five more things. And then you end up not doing it. And you end up maybe doing three of the extra five things that you thought you could do. And then all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, my God, I failed. I like suck at life like that. That was literally my day. (laughs) <laughs> it was it happened a lot and I think it, the point is to not do all of the things because all of these things weren't life or death or they weren't necessary um it's just putting on this face but I think what helped me in treatment was realizing I need to, to needed to live more authentically and tell myself like nope I can't do this and you know like if someone is asking me to do something, if I can't, it's, and it comes down to boundaries. That was another thing that I, it was really hard for me to work on was boundaries. Hmm. 
So living authentically, um, what is that process like for you? Um, sharing all of the things, like all, even the, you know, not necessarily ugly things, but, you know, I, I want to remind people that recovery is not a straight line. It is very much a roller coaster. And so if let's say, and I hate social media, this is why I didn't have social media before the podcast. Um, because whenever I took pictures, it was only when we're doing something great, right? Like, oh yeah, we're going on a hike and it's beautiful or we're doing something, but there's a party or I'm hosting or we're with friends. And that, you know, through social media, it all looks so good, right? But like I said, deep down inside, things were really, really bad and really, really shitty. Before I would host my big Halloween party, I was a nightmare to be around. You know, um, it's it's like it's it's a living uh, living authentically is like if I'm going to share all of the good things, I'm also going to share the bad things, so people understand that these that bad shit happens. It happens to everybody. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think, I think that's basically, that's it. Just trying to, you know, I had a neighbor who came over. Um, they, they wanted to ask for something, but it was like literally the wrong time of the day. Um, it was when I was putting my kids to bed. And he was knocking on the door and my daughter got it. And he was just like, Hey, is your mom or dad home? And I was, and you know, we were like, we're busy. Tell him we're busy. And he said, he told my daughter it was important. Then my husband went down. Um, and I was like, okay, he can't come. Nobody could come to the house between like six 30 and eight 30 or six 30 and on. No, nobody can come over. Typically I would let it go. And then I would let them do it like four or five more times times until I just lose my shit if I even do that um but the next day I went to him and I was like listen you can't come to the house like I'm usually that person who's just like I don't want any confrontation but I know that when I'm getting heated and then it and then it dissipates but then it comes back and then all of a sudden I'll be I'll be explosive so I just told him I was like hey I need I need you to not come anytime after 6 30 um unless it is a, an emergency. Um, and for some reason, I guess that came off wrong because he's so used to me being very like anything you want, because then he talked to my husband and was just like, uh, your wife was really mad at me. And I was like, I'm not, I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't mad at him. And I hope I didn't come off as being mean or angry, but you know, I needed to set boundaries and I needed to realize like, these are my boundaries and I'm not being mean or I'm not being angry or um, aggressive. I'm just letting you know that if you do this shit again, I'm probably going to explode. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about letting people, you know, before it gets to a certain point, you have to like lay down the rules, lay down your, your what you, what you want and what you need. Um, and then have them take it. And I, you know, I hope he didn't take it the wrong way, but I just wanted to be as honest as I could be. Do you think you were harder on yourself when you said that 
we were a nightmare to be around after we're losing the spirit. I mean, yeah, I think I was a nightmare. I I mean, I am, like I said, like there's a point where I can be explosive, um, where if I've, if I've put up with something that I really don't like for like excessively, I'll just explode. And, and sometimes, you know, I, and I, and that's kind of how my dad was. I, I, kind of got that from him um and he was very unpleasant to be around and you and you know my husband is the complete opposite he is extremely patient he is extremely rational um you know when we have arguments it's funny because now I realize it now but before he'd be like but that's not what we're arguing about and you know as a trauma survivor the things I get mad about aren't the things I'm getting mad about, right? It's, it's their triggers of something that happened that is, you know, something happened that triggered a moment where it, I was angry or I wasn't being heard or, um, or whatnot. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I, I'm exaggerating. I feel like my husband would prefer me in this way where I'm, a little more honest up front instead of being explosive towards the end, I guess. Hmm. And I noticed sometimes when you were explaining you would smile and giggle, is that one of the ways to deal with the pain? Let's do the happy outward appearance. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I did. I did. Even there was a point in treatment where my EMDR specialist like, is that smile real? Are you being, are you, are you just kind of trying, is it a facade? And I, you know, I remember at that point it was real, but you know, the first few days in treatment, it was a facade because it was just like, I'm, I don't, I don't know what I'm very uncomfortable. I don't know these people. I'm scared. Um, I guess that's my like defense mechanism. That's my, that's how, what I do when I'm uncomfortable. And, you know, looking back now, I probably did it a lot as a child. Um, yeah. And I, and I asked that because I remember for me as a child, I had the same trauma response. And a pivotal moment when I was in therapy in college is when my then college therapist pointed it out to me. And then it made me think about that even time after my term with him ended. So I would start noticing that same trauma response in other people. So we were, uh, giggling to some extent and smiling, I, I, it made that memory appear in my mind. Mm, yeah, it triggered a moment. Yeah. Yeah. It- and then another thing was, the reason why I act breaking hard yourself is that losing your spirit and 
Um, what was the other thing? Oh, being a nightmare. Even my college therapist said, I noticed you have a tough time not being hard on yourself because that's what you were traumatically taught by the traumatizing. Mm. And so when I hear people, like I can give somebody a compliment if they don't really know me, that's their insecurity talking and that's their pain trying to take over as their true identity. And so that's another thing that I have worked through even after my term with that same therapist ended. So when I heard you say those things, that was another moment in my mind that came up. Yeah. I feel like us trauma survivors share similar triggers. Right, because we're taught similar bad lessons. Because when people think of a lesson, they think all lessons are good. Not all teachers are good, so not all lessons are good. No, no. And, and you know, we develop these coping skills or maladaptive coping skills. I mean, I don't know if smiling necessarily is a bad thing. Is it right. but but it you aren't being truthful to yourself, I guess is what right. The, and that's the, a tough you. thing, like if you're at work, let's say you have in our in in many people's cases a remote job. Some people are still physically going in, of course with COVID nineteen precautions, but they're still going in. Mm-hmm. Or they have like a Zoom meeting. They have to right. be on Zoom all the time. That's a delicate situation because mm-hmm. being professional, but being, you know, but being honest with yourself about what you're currently facing or have faced or will face. Yeah, <sighs> you're right. You want to be real, but there you also have to be, if you're in a professional setting, you have to be professional. I get that. Um, I feel like, you know, it, 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 I guess it's nice to have people you work with maybe who you can be real with. Um, but, you know, I, I remember working with this one person who was extremely like she was real. She just whatever was on her mind, she would just say whatever. If she was having a bad day, you knew if she was having a bad day. And, you know, it was hard for her. And eventually she was let go because they thought she had a bad attitude in the workplace. So it, I, I understand like you ha- having to put up a facade for work. But I guess that's like. I guess, uh, I mean, I guess that's why you have your friends or your therapists to, you know, vent to and be your authentic self with. Because I don't, I mean, I don't know for work if you have to be your authentic self. I mean, it is work. It's, it's, it's how you make a living. But yeah, that is a tricky, yeah. tricky thing. When I first started working, I was still in therapy at the time I was still consulting um, 
psychiatric professional at the time, psychiatrist. And it was challenging because I, I tended to be the youngest person. Did I know all of my professional rights? No. It wasn't until I transitioned out of that particular workplace that I, I started researching and knowing all my professional rights later. And it's a typical issue for younger workers is you have an idea of how, kind of how to cope, but you hear so many stories about toxic bosses and toxic coworkers mm. that it affects you knowing all your rights because you see your parents not knowing all of theirs. Yeah. And so if I'm, if you're, and it's worse if you're a trauma survivor. I don't know all my rights, one, whether you're an adult or a kid, that knowledge is stolen. And then, but I have to make a living, even though my mm. actual living is stolen too. So, hmm, how do I trust the right people? Which is, at first, that, that's tricky. That takes it is years. tricky. But at the world of work, that's kind of a hot, it's a, that's a hybrid because there's some coworkers that are very understanding. They come off like a friend. And then you go, but we're still colleagues, but I can't tell you too much, but <laughs> the way you approach me, I if I, I feel weird if I didn't. And I don't know, people, I've learned that in relationships, you just learn as you go. Yeah. Instead of always, I got to define, I got to define, I got to define. His relationships can alter. You thought it was a friend, they're better as a colleague. You thought they were mm-hmm. a colleague, y'all better friends than colleagues. Or some people have the rarity of both. And yeah. I learned life is about just maximum effort, not living a life of performance, because that's what you're taught who's traumatized to live life in. I'm going to just give it all I got. And then we just keep growing. Right. And I'm going to just learn. So that's why I brought that up because that's not really talked about. Like, what is it like to make a living even though you're, you're reclaiming your living? Yeah. Right. No, that's a great question. That's a great topic. I, um, you know, I, I feel like I was lucky enough to, you know, after, I mean, I've had horrible bosses. I mean, had terrible bosses where, you know, my boss thought I was crazy because I, I, he must have triggered something during a, um, an interview because I started crying. <laughs> um, and he was wow. just like, what is happening here? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just like, I, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm done here. Um, you know, but I knew he was an unhealthy person to be around. I wasn't the only one who thought that. So that was, it, it was good knowing that, but I, I was, you know, my husband's like, you got to leave. And I left, but I also found um, a wonderful job working for someone who completely understands mental illness. And you know, when I was working for her, 
It was when I was working for her when I said, hey, listen, I know you just handed me this client, but I can't do this. I have to go into residential treatment. Um, I feel like her mission statement for her employees is you take care of yourself first. That is the number one thing. So it was like, I, you know, I gave her like a week or two where I was like, I, I think I'm, I'm going to have to like not do this now. And I remember her saying, do you want, do you want to give me your client now so you can start your healing? And I just, you know, she was an unbelievable person. And, and I think more and more people need to be that way. You know, she was the kind of person like, you know, it's this, it's this issue that I think people, when they call in sick because maybe they're having a bad day, but they can't say they're having a bad day. They have to, they have to seem sick and, you know, not mentally, but physically somehow. And, you know, I think more and more bosses or, you know, anyone in a leadership role needs to understand, like, if someone needs to take a personal day because they just aren't mentally feeling it, they, that should be okay. Like that should like, they don't, they shouldn't have to call and be like, <laughs> I have a fever. I can't come in. They should, they should be able to say, listen, I I'm having a really rough morning and I don't think I can deal with this today. Um, you know, cause I feel like if they were given permission to just take care of themselves, they would be even more productive the next time they come in. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if you're coming in and you're feeling like shit, you're just going to do shitty work. Um, so I, I feel like it's time now to really destigmatize mental, um, mental illness and, and allow people to take care of themselves because that they're only, that's only going to make them more productive. Wow. Cause I, I mean, taking care of my, the concept of taking care of myself, I remember I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to work again because of the type of podcast that I do. It's similar to yours, Sharon trauma story and recovery story. And I felt like the only way I could have a, in my case, a nine to five was not to publicize something that it, most families would say, keep under wraps because you want to get paid and you want to have your own home and you want to be able to have full independent living. And so I thought about that for years as one of the reasons why I didn't publicly, like what I'm doing now, um, air that forced part of my life because I felt like I won't have a career, but it kept not, it kept beautifully gnawing at me, like, but you're not you won't be as big of a blessing if you just repress, 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 repress. And I was struggling with, but I don't want people I don't know um, ambushing me because we live in that kind of world. But mm -hmm. there's 
people out there who would actually have had the healing process started, if I say something, it took me years to even do this. I was like, but I, I need money. I need a home. I, I, my parents will one day not be able to have me in their home, which is a horrible day for any um I don't want to insult the half me because um, not everybody has with their parents, you know. I didn't, um, yeah, but, and then I said, but is there a way I can still take care of myself and help survivors not to kill themselves and help survivors to, there's ways you can go to therapy and people can help out with affordability issues. I was like, there's a way I could do both because I can't sleep at night if I don't. This is something I'm supposed to do. I figured out I could. I'm like, okay, cool. And then my mind, I have the kind of mind where I reveal the kind of things that most people go, why would you say that? Are you trying not to get hired? Are you trying? to not be able to work again? What if your career falls apart? And I said, but what you're telling me to not help people be whole, I can't do that. That's not how my mind works. My mind is heavy. It goes there. Because this is what people need. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, but I, I'm, you know, I've been in the world of work before and most people that's their rest of their lives until retirement people that I know would say but you're not supposed to be in it forever look at all these gifts you're supposed to you're supposed to be in the forefront but if I am you know the kind of things I'm gonna hear yeah that's gonna help people especially people in me I said okay I should stop fighting it internally Mm mm-hmm your thoughts on that because I know you could relate well I feel like it you know you had you have a calling you you have a purpose right um all the bad stuff that happened to you you know you want to take that and help others and you know I feel like any employer um you know I haven't been I mean my my last few bosses have been similar to the woman I was speaking of um and so I don't know if things have changed but I feel like there's so many more people like that out there and there's so many people and so many companies who could use your voice and I think that you need to find those companies to be working for and you know making a difference with and making and 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 also being able to make a living i think that if the if you are in an, in a space where or job where you can't be your authentic self i'd start looking at other options i wouldn't completely like just quit and then just be like okay i'm just gonna figure this out i think that you know, there's, there needs to be some rationality behind it, but I, but there are places I feel like 
there's so many places, especially now and with mental health, I think that that is, that is an option to find a place where you can be your authentic self and help others and still be able to make a living and take care of yourself. Um, I was lucky enough to find that with this person um, who was completely understanding and, you know, I think everyone can, it's just having, it's just making the effort to look for those, those positions. I I appreciate that because um, before I started the podcast, I never knew if there were, if there was a blurred line between, if you're on your podcast, you're your authentic self, but you don't have a job. I never heard a conversation about you can't say certain things if you have a public platform or a company, but that gives me hope that there are more people, more employers, even more coworkers that are more of into, yes, you, you're working with us, around us, or we're opening the same space, but more of them want it want the real you than the ones who are just who they are Mm -hmm. so that is very helpful to me good I hope it is I think they're just I feel like there's just a lot out there like a lot of mental health organizations that would love to have somebody like you and you know I think uh, that would be worthwhile do your coworkers or boss have they ever commented on the episodes you've done, or do they even know that you? Oh yeah, that well, my fo- yeah, my former employees. Yes, they actually love the show. Um, uh, you know, I worked in PR, so I was a public relations um, specialist, and my boss, who owns her company, um. She's the one, you know, when I came back, you know, she checked in on me um, after a couple of weeks. I think she thought I was only going to be gone for a couple of weeks in a treatment. But when I, you know, I got like hundreds of messages when I got out of treatment and one of them was her. So I, I, I remember just reaching back out to her and just letting her know that I was doing okay, that, it, you know, I kind of told her what was going on. And then I told her about the abuse and she was, and then, you know, we went to other details of such and she was just like, Lori Lee, you need to write a book. <laughs> so it was kind of her, you know, because she was just like, then she shared with me her own trauma that she has not shared. So I feel like there are a lot of people out there who have trauma, who aren't talking about it, that if you share your own, you know, it will help. And, and actually I didn't, I didn't write a book. But she actually, she actually did, which is, you know, she actually shared her trauma and she talked to me about it and that gave her, that it kind of inspired her to write the book, um, which is coming out in the fall. So, I, I, I mean, I, I, she, I was just lucky with her. She was, she, you know, just to know somebody like her was just a blessing um, in and of itself, but you know, I also worked for another person, you know, I freelance for a couple, um, a couple of PR firms. 
just whenever there there was work you know they'd ask if I could do it um and all of them basically shared either their you know either their their sympathies and empathy or they shared their own trauma and they're like so how do what should you know what do you think I should be doing you know I'm like yeah I'm just I literally just got out of treatment I don't know I don't think I have all the answers but you know I can tell you what I think but you know I'm also not a therapist um but it was sharing it was it was really just sharing what 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 I've been through to get everyone employ my my old employers and my colleagues to say, ooh, I you know what? I've been through some some stuff too. And wow. talk about it. Yeah. I mean it's 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 interesting how if you share your truth, how how much more comfortable everybody feels about sharing their own. Um and like I said, that kind of jump starts their healing and finding ways to to heal. Wow. That is, I have a round of applause because I've been encouraged to write books myself. Thank you for sharing that. I'm actually in the process of writing my book series. I've been encouraged to do it. But like every year, there should be a book written by you about mm-hmm. your song. I said, wow, can I handle the world knowing what happened to me. Then I said, yes. And I won't let those naysayers with their micro beat all of the responses. I value my response over theirs. But more importantly, more people be in favor. And I'm like, oh, okay. So as long as I value my response and the responses people who want be blessed by what I'm saying. That's all that matters. So that that was a healthy management skill that I was able to develop. Yes, and you should write a book. I 100% would support that. I think that was that's a that's a fin- phenomenal idea. I feel like you would be helping so many people. Um, so yeah, and it and obviously you don't have to just put out a book you know this year I think I think slowly like being able to gather all of because it is hard you're right like you're reliving when you're writing down your trauma you you somewhat have to relive it and so you know I talked I've talked I've spoken to a lot of authors on my podcast and almost all of them have told me that they've cried writing their book you know they've they've it was just a lot of tears to put down details like see it in writing what had happened to them but it was probably the most cathartic feeling I feel like when you have to when you are healing from trauma you you're going back to that open wound and trying to like clean it out and like really you know not just put a band-aid on it but really maybe put on some stitches because that hurts, you know, and then or cleaning it out with alcohol. I mean, I don't think people do that now nowadays, but you know, it gets it's painful. Right. But it it's not just putting a band-aid over it. It's actually healing and it's therapeutic. And and that I think that's what the what what a book would do um 
for you and right. then help so many other people. Right. Because I think some people, like you said, calling, like best friend I talk to at 12 p.m. every day, uses that word about my dreams. And I've even put, have it on my iPhone, little notepad section. And she keeps a copy of it. She's like, I want to save this. I want to help you get jumpstart this. And today I was telling her some of my insecurities about, but, you know, I'm in the public eye now. That's what podcasting, that's just going to happen. Especially if you say, if it's on Apple, any country can get your podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, can I handle the whole public? I think he said, you're more than capable. You have all the coping skills, all the management skills. You, you're not self-destructive. You're, you're a very pleasant soul. Mm-hmm. There's not, he, he keeps the there's no bullshit about you. You're not fucked up at all. There's no, no. to your character. <laughs> no, absolutely. I do. I feel like more people need to know about you and your story. And it would help so many people. And I, and I love that I was able to start my writing in a sense by agreeing to do your um authentic oh, the magazines. <laughs> I appreciate that. That was a great article. I was really happy with it and just with a got great feedback and yeah, it was you you need to write a book. <laughs> Thank you. And you have to write yours. <laughs> I feel like I, I I feel like I have to dig deep. You know, I feel like I, you know, I think the abuse was part of a, a, a transgenerational trauma that I think I would have to do a little more research on and with my, my, my family's background and kind of, you know, I actually, I'm the 23 and me, you know, the DNA testing kind of understanding all that stuff. I'm doing that. And I feel like I did that because I was thinking, I kind of want to know more um, about, my background and my life and and you know I kind of know a lot of what happened to my and I I think I told you I did the um, MDMA assisted therapy um, which is illegal but I did it because I knew that I I read the research and saw the results and and I was just like I need to do this I need to do this for trauma therapy and so you know I was able to kind of live through my my dad's life through this experience and understand like he was abused too and so I kind of want to know like where did this all stem from you know it was just like a whole um a whole family of just predators it seemed like and I and I feel like I I need I I needed it's like I don't want to know more and that's probably why I'm delaying that but I feel like that would be healing for me to understand. You know, I, I felt like I, I, I don't necessarily forgive my dad, but I absolutely 100% understand 
he that he didn't know better. I always was like, how did he not know better? You know, this is it's abuse. It's you you don't do that. But then when you are raised in a family that normalizes it, that that makes that changes things. And again, I don't forgive him, but I understand. And I think that's all had that had a big impact on my own healing. Right. And that's why when I talk to a spouse or survivor, there are times where I don't bring up forgiveness, or I don't bring it up right away. Mm-hmm. Because I first feel like what it what does justice look like for you before we can forget I'm sorry, not forget, before we even can get to the states of mind regarding the perpetrators, mm-hmm. what does your justice needs consist of? I think people should think of that first instead of the false kumbaya approach, because I don't like that. It's awkward. We can do forgiveness with everything's happy, happy, joy, joy. That's insulting, especially if you've been abused. You go, Mm -hmm. no, my, the the memories I wish I didn't have, clearly that's not the case. Yeah, the difficult relationships and the difficult behaviors. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm still angry about all of that. You know, I'm still mad you know, I, I mean, I'm not like angry, I guess. I'm just like, I'm working on it. And that is my my personal healing. But, you know, what he did was wrong on so many levels. But there was something that happened to him that that made him the way he was as well. And that is where I can say I understand. And I, you know... And maybe it's this thing, I, I this block where I'm like, I just can't forgive him. I mean, I, I can understand him and maybe I can forgive him. Maybe I do forgive him. I'm just never going to speak to him again. And I'm not going to say rosy things about him. Um, right. I, read, I think I saw something on your um, Instagram or the wall of Instagram where somebody said, I can't, I don't remember the person's name, that it's a that if you choose to forgive, that's how I put it, because that gives the survivor a choice that humanizes the survivor. Because some survivors don't like to be called survivors. I just learned that by just um, doing research. I said, oh, okay, so language sensitivity helps Mm -hmm. with anybody who's gone through right and it says if you choose to forgive and paraphrasing you can still deny them access to you because mm-hmm. forgiving doesn't mean that they stop with their violating violator spirit mm-hmm. if you choose to forgive that that's just the truth whether you forgive or not, you can still deny them access to you, your your uh, phone, your home, your everything. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think that we're us, we're looking for like a, a a way of being healthy. Like 
we own, I mean, our anger is righteous indignation. And at the same time, we, we don't want anything that the perpetrators do to ruin the, you know, the rewards of life that are out there for us, which is mm-hmm. never easy. It, right. It's, I mean, that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. That is okay. Well, I want to thank you for being a part of this show. I'm thank glad you so much. No problem. And you were a great um, co-host for t- tonight. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for giving me a platform to 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 talk about this. I appreciate you as well. Thanks for being the first between us to open your podcast and magazine to me. I'm glad I got to be enlightenment to your friends and social media and followers. So thank you. No, thank you. I think I think the we mutually benefit from each other and that is that is what a friendship is mutual mutual benefits right because another thing I have to say this I I think that my I I was so afraid of being inappropriate growing up right because <laughs> I was like but you know how some people. Once they hear the word sexual trauma, someone will contact and want to know, so what is sexuality like to me? What is sex like to me? Some people will go there. It's the world mm-hmm. we're living in. I decided to answer the question. I'm like, no, I, I'm going to be truthful about this. So survivors can know you can still have a mutually hot, wondrous sex life despite that evil ass shit mm-hmm. you're right <laughs> you're right and so I talk and I'm even gonna get graphic I talk about my libido types <laughs> my sex sexual personality actually there's more than one I've, I've been researching sex therapists and things. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, people need to understand that. I feel like they need to, you know, they're people, you know, they have their own comfort level with it. Right. And I think everybody, the, it, it, it's all, it's part of all the stigma, right? You don't talk, if you don't talk about, you don't know any better. Mm. And last, because you're right, lastly, I figured out my erotic blueprint type. It's creative <laughs> sexual. <laughs> I used to feel bad that I, my flesh like corn. <laughs> and I used to feel awful about masturbating. <laughs> You feel awful about it? I used to feel awful about it. Now I feel like, but I research it's healthy and it helps with your sex life. Like, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's actually, it's just ha- 
how you use it and your attention. I said, oh, see, I can still be a gentleman and from time to time have my porn adult entertainment fun. Yeah, okay, cool. I can talk to therapists if that's right. And they said, oh, you know, a ride it helps with your um, sexual temperament. Really? <laughs> and I have been a fan of erotica ever since. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Yeah. See, I'm glad that we could have honest sex talk together. <laughs> I love that you can share. Thank you. I hope that helps you in your healing. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. I, you know, May 1st, I heard that Mayor Dallas is trying to open up a, some parts of the D.C. economy. I just heard this, so. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I know that everyone in D.C. by, I guess, the 19th, which is next Monday, they, that um, the vaccinations open up to everybody. Yeah, so you're in Capitol Hill. And I'm in Tacoma. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, we're not far. No, we're not. Nope, you're, we're not. So we should get together. Yes. What do you do for fun? With Real COVID, quick. not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. I take my kids to the park. <laughs> oh. That is what's fun I guess I guess when my when I take my kids to the park to meet their friends and I can spend time with my my mom friends I guess that's that's as much fun as I'm getting this during COVID and being out and about because I I feel like I'm still still isolating even though I have I have been vaccinated but I still isolate just just to be safe because you never know oh okay wow okay when there's no pandemic you have more fun or was it that way I'd like to say that I have more fun I think I guess I do happy hour I used to do happy hours with my mom friends um yeah I don't know I it's a lot of things center around my kids (laughs) so yeah but you know every once in a while I'll get out with my girlfriends and um at least before COVID every now and again, they do, we do like, um, we host at each other's backyards and in the cold, it was kind of a nightmare, but now that it's getting warmer, I feel like that's going to be a lot of my life. Now, do you. Oh, smoke. We, I do have a medical license. Actually my, not my episode this week, but next week, I'm a, I actually interviewed a somatic experiencing cannabis integrative practitioner. So that is actually he for, for trauma healing. So I think that's going to, that's, that is a good episode. I did the interview and he's phenomenal. So that's, and you know, if you are do, doing trauma work, he's actually in um, friendship heights. So, yes, I know what that is. That is, where there's the Bethesda's and there's the um, Keep Driving that's Rock Hill. I'm familiar. Yeah, so he's he does it over Zoom. Um, 
but he's yeah he is a great um i i encourage you to listen to that episode so oh okay if I yeah develop a taste for weed mm-hmm. like would he like would he be against recreational i don't think he's against recreation like he can't i mean he's not um He's not one to, you know, judge. He doesn't have a license to prescribe it. So he doesn't prescribe it or tell people to use it. Um, But that's kind of, um, but he does suggest if you, you know, to get it. I don't know if you have your medical marijuana license. Uh, No. No. Yeah. So it's really easy to get in DC, especially. Okay. yeah, it's and actually, yeah, I, it's it's extremely easy. It's really just um, finding, and they there's a list. You can actually go to the Department of Health and and look that up, like who you can call, and then they'll fill out the paperwork, and then yeah. Nice, cool, mm-hmm. and do yeah. you keep drinking happy hours? I do. Okay. I just started liking the most of the happened before. And I'm mm-hmm. like, when COVID ends, I'm going back. Good. You're brunching. Yeah. I miss brunching. I haven't done that in a very long time. Yes. We should brunch. I, I, I do buffets. I do buffets and brunch are my favorite. Where I can nice. eat anything I want. Well, let, we should plan it. We, uh, whenever I don't, I guess if you said May first, we'll see. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I don't want to hog up your mom, wife. <laughs> You're still a person. I'm just playing. That's that's a part who you are not. All. <laughs> no, no, yeah, eh, most of the time, but it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. I do get my alone time, and I, you know, and it's funny, but I, I. I in, I work during that time. It's just my my I and, and like I said, my days are like filled to the brim. I'm still working on that. Oh, cool, cool. Well, I will send this to you so you can put it on your own podcast too, and I'll publish it on mine as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you too. And take care. Take care. Yes, let's be in touch. All right. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.